0: Well, welcome to You in Five Years. And we want to start with a thought. And the thought is, what could your life look like between now and 2028? What could God do in your life in the next half a decade? A mentor once told me that people tend to overestimate what they can do in the short term, but underestimate what they could do in the long term. And so, uh, of course, this applies to lots of different ways. But he was specifically giving me an investment advice. And all of us, I think, when it comes to the new year, have it in our heart to change, have it in our heart to grow. It's a built in reset moment uh, to, to analyze, to ask the question where, where am I at? Where do I want to be? And what do I need to do to get there? But the mistake many of us make is we shrink that down to such a small period of time where we can't possibly begin to see the long term impact of such a decision uh, in, in just one year. So instead of saying, you know, what, more about 2024. We're asking the question, how can I be great? We're defining that by God's definition of greatness, which he has a version of that for you. Now, I know talk like that is cheap, and in church, it's like, oh, yeah, you must be talking about someone else. But listen to me, I am talking about you. There is God-given greatness inside of you waiting to come out. And in case you're like, nah, you must be talking about someone else, I am telling you, the Bible didn't make a mistake when it said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, God's own special people, brought out of darkness into his marvelous light that as a holy nation, you might shine his praises. I'm telling you something, you are valuable. You have a destiny. You have a calling. There is the image of God inside of you. There is Christ waiting to be formed in you. There's, there's a difference meant to be made. You were called to kick over some apple carts, to shine the light of Jesus, for there to be a difference in heaven and hell felt based on what you did while you were here on this earth. It's early in the talk, but I am preaching because I want you to know I mean business. Greatness. So how do we become great by 2028? We understand and lean into the power of compound interest over time. And I want to start by turning our attention to Psalm 90 and give you a message that I'm calling The Life You Get Stuck With. The Life You Get Stuck With. What is the life you get stuck with? Well, Psalm 90 is actually the oldest Psalm in the entire Bible uh, out of the whole book of Psalms, 150 of them. This is the oldest one. And here's what we're going to read. We're going to read the whole thing. It says, Lord, through all the generations, You have been our home before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth. Hello. (laughs) That's who we're talking to. (laughs) The one who gave birth to the earth. I love that. And the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust. Because that's a, you know how Marvel loves an origin story? Let's go to the origin story of that franchise. Our origin story is dirt, baby. God breathed into dust, and it became a living being. His name was Adam. And that's all of our origin story. And he can turn us back to dust. And that's what will be spoken of at your funeral, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Saying, return to dust, you mortals. Verse 4, for you, God, a thousand years. That's like the most crazy amount of time ever. Is what to God? A passing day as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes. But by evening, it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you. And not just the ones people know about, our secret sins. That's a problem. He sees everything that we do, and you see them all. Verse 9, we live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. Yay! But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear, and we fly away. Who then can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. What is all this talk meant to produce in us? Wisdom. Verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow. Say it out loud with me. In wisdom. Oh, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may, what, sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval, and notice this, and make our efforts successful. So we're praying for God's blessing, yes, but his blessing on our efforts. May God make our efforts successful. Yes, in case someone missed it, yes, it ends with this. Make our efforts successful. Can we thank God for the reading of his word and what power there is even just in that? Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have just read the one and only psalm written by Moses. Now, he wrote different songs that are in the Bible, but only one psalm that ended up in the book of Psalms. And of course, we generally think of David, who wrote the lion's share of psalms, but Moses did contribute one as well. And we know that for uh, a fact, because if you back up to the beginning of the heading, it literally says, a song of Moses, a man of God. Uh, And he's one of a handful of people to be called a man of God. Now, when did he write this psalm? There are two leading thoughts. And one thought is at Kadesh Barnea, just after the children of Israel opted to not go into the promised land. Because some of you know the story, the big overarching story. This people, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, that were the family of Jacob, descendant of Abraham, who was the father of all those who believe. And God promised this nation, against all odds, would become a nation out of a single man. And his body was as good as dead when he had his first child. So all of this begins with the impossible. So if you have impossible in your story, that's where God loves to work. So don't be afraid. He can make a way where there is no way. And so it starts. Abraham, uh, whose body was as good as dead, has a child, turns into a family. They end up in Egypt as slaves. And it's time for the millions of them now to get out, uh, cross the Red Sea, again, impossible, and get into, hopefully, the promised land. And so they do all of that. Passover happens. The blood's on the the doorpost. So the deaf angel's able to pass over. It's all, of course, a picture of Jesus and the only means of salvation that has ever existed. Y'all, there are approximately one names that we've been given that have salvation and power in them. And it's the name above every name. It's the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord and God. So the blood's on the the doors. So now there's there's life, where there should be death. And they're able to cross through the Red Sea. It makes no sense. It's a picture of baptism, where the Holy Spirit is able to bring you from death to life, from darkness to light. And now they're out of Egypt. And all they have to do is enter into the Promised Land. So a quick pit stop at Mount Sinai, where they get the 10 Commandments and the whole, here's how we're going to roll. Here's how we're going to do life. And it's only an 11-day journey. Someone say, 11-day journey and they're at Kadesh Barnea, it's time to cross the Jordan River. I mean, if you've crossed a sea, a river should be no big deal at all. And now you're in the Promised Land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's goodness uh, on display. It's life at God's table. But there are giants. It causes the voice to crack. There are giants <laughs> in the land. The 10 spies came back and said, there's giants. We can't possibly do it. We should run back to Egypt. It was better there. It's, it, they wanted their old life. But two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, what you talking about, fool? We, there's giants, yeah, because it's a good place to live. Of course the giants want to live there. And after we take them out, because our God got us through the Red Sea, our God turned Pharaoh's armies into nothing, of course our God's going to cause the giants to fall. The bigger they are, the harder they hit the ground. <laughs> it was a full Braveheart speech moment. But the children of Israel listened to the 10 and disregarded the two. And so an 11-day journey turned into 40 years of wandering. As God said, because you did not believe, you will not inherit the promises. Not one of you adults who left Egypt shall enter the promised land. You're going to go around in circles, like the world's worst road trip, until each of you perish. And only your sons, only your children, and Joshua and Caleb, because the text says, they have a different spirit in them. Only those would never be afraid of different. We're a peculiar people. Yeah. Let me tell you something. God wants a different spirit to be found in you than is surrounding you at school, than is surrounding you at work, that is surrounding you in culture. So those with a different spirit and the children will enter in, but not any of you. And it's believed by many. That's when Moses wrote this song, watching God's fury on our disobedience, God's fury on when he's given us everything, us not entering into it. Now, lest you think that's a lovely historical example, Levi, but has nothing to do with me, Oh, contraire, friend, because you and I, if we are Christians, have entered into the waters of baptism. If we are in Christ, we have entered into the possibility of us taking steps into all that he has for us. But not everybody who's come out of Egypt has Egypt uh, left them. And so God wants us to enter into the promised land. That's why the book of Ephesians says, help us to see all that we are opened up to following Christ. So you can be saved, thus not heading to hell, but forget that you have a calling to do great things for heaven. And there are a lot of people headed to eternity with a saved soul who will get there and realize all too late they had a wasted life. They had potential. They had a calling. They had a greatness inside of them, but they never released it. And I'm here to say in this series, don't die with your song inside of you. Don't let your story be wandering in, oh, just another year, oh, just another decade, oh, they're just flying by now. I'm telling you, it's time to rise up in your calling. It's time to rise up, oh, man of God, oh, woman of God, oh, child of God. I want everything that Jesus has for me. But it's not going to be something we can just do in a day. To quote the leadership guru John Maxwell, change like that can't happen in a day, but it can happen daily. It can happen a little bit at a time. It's not sexy, but it can happen if you remember the wisdom my mentor gave me. We overestimate what we can do in a short period of time, but we underestimate what we can do in a long period of time. So some people place the Psalm as being written there. Other people believe Moses wrote it at the end of his life before he went up Mount Nebo and got to see the promised land right before he died. Moses had one of the weirdest deaths in the Bible because God told, told him, come up on this mountain. You're about to die. And then God personally did the funeral services for Moses. The Bible says he buried him. It's the only person in Scripture that the Bible says God actually buried him, which is just awesome and weird and, and really great. If you come back to church next week, we're going to talk about the, one of the weirdest deaths ever in the Bible. Moses had the weirdest funeral in the Bible because only God was there. It's very strange. Uh, so, so, so at the end of his life, Moses got to see the promised land. But God said, I'm not going to let you go in either. Not because he doubted. Moses didn't doubt at Kadesh Barnea. But because Moses never got the best of his anger problem. He never got the best of his temper. There were things that were great about Moses. But those same great things were the worst things about Moses as well. And it's true for you and for me as well. Because the bigger the gift, the longer shadow it casts. And all of us have a shadow side to our brilliance. All of us have a shadow side to our greatness. So we all need to do what Moses failed to do, and that he wrote this Psalm to give us the hindsight and perspective to walk into, and that is to win the war with ourselves. As a consequence of that, uh, because God is just and will let us, if we choose to, forfeit what he intended for us as his best, as his blessing all along, uh, Moses uh, did not get to go in the promised land during his life. And he instead only got to see it but not touch it. And it's believed by some that he wrote this psalm to say, learn from my lesson. Don't let your life go by without you winning the war with yourself. Get the best of these things and and enter into all that God has for you. So either way, uh, the the lesson remains the same. And so what I want to do with you is sort of use for the next few moments just some imagination and ask the question, how could I become great in 2028? Now, don't let this exercise, where you're going to listen to me, uh, be the only one that you have. I would love for you to carve out some time with your journal and a blank space and really ask the question of God. Now, the first and foremost thing would be, of course, in the next five years, we all hopefully would say, I want to grow closer to God. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to take some steps across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, using my gifts, becoming like Jesus, growing closer to him. So, So let's start there. Uh, there are 1,825 days in the next five years. How many of those days are we going to let begin and end without us spending some time alone with Jesus? What if we spent 1,825 days seeking God, even if it's just for a few moments in, in prayer and in worship and in the word? And as we uh, think about the next uh, you know, 1,825 days, that breaks down to 260 months. And what if for 260, uh, I'm sorry, 260 weeks, 260 weeks, what if we spent every single one of those weeks beginning the week out with Jesus by gathering together as his church? I mean, mean, some of you will come 50 times, right? That's that's, that's to say you'll come, uh, you know, just basically uh, once a month, which is where the average American before the pandemic came to church, one to two times per month on average. And some will come 10 times, Christmas and Easter, right? So what a difference to say 260 times, I'm going to gather together with God's people, utilizing the gift of technology or in person, but I'm going to gather for singing. I'm going to gather together to be under the preaching of God's word. What, what could happen five years from now if you did that? What could happen in those 260? What if, what if you got into a small group? And what if even 200 of those 260 weeks, you were with people who were saying, hey, how are you applying the message? How can I pray for you? What's going bad in your marriage? How can I put my hand on your shoulder and speak Jesus into your situation? What could life spiritually look like in five years? And then, of course, there's so many other ripple waves. I just thought, like, okay, here someone could say, hey, five years from now, by 2020, I want to be fluent in a language that I don't speak today. That's not impossible. With Duolingo and Rosetta Stone and you just, you could literally, if you gave yourself to it, a year from now, it's not going to look like much, but if you gave yourself to it, compound interest, ripple effects, it could be, uh, you could know what laissez competent means, from home alone, next time you watch it five years from now. You could go back to school, five years is enough time to get a degree or perhaps some other certification or skill or learn some other trade that by five years from now, you have some level of mastery over it. You could take up a new hobby, a new sport, or a new skill, and become incredibly proficient in it if you give yourself to it, be it chess or cooking or gardening or jujitsu or, God forbid, pickleball. (laughs) Why you want to do that, I have no idea. Even just saying it out loud. I know I will love pickleball. Please stop telling me I will love it. I know I will, and I will take it up when I hit 65. All right, so eight of so six, six more of these series, and I'm going to hit it. I'm going to for sure uh, do it. Uh, you could read 60 books. Imagine if you made a list of of 60 books, history books, Christian living books, you know, books on business. If you if you listed, the average American does not complete a single book on an average year. Think about it. Knowledge is power, though. What could happen if you read or listened to 60 books? And what would that actually amount to? About 5 to 10 pages per day, depending on the, the book length. I mean, it's, if you read five pages a day, that's 9,000 plus pages you will read in, in that time. It's, it's actually mind bogg- boggling to think about what you can do. Because a lot of people ask me, because they know I read a lot, how much time do you spend reading it? Like when I do podcast interviews, how much time do you spend reading? And they're always shocked. when I say, actually, not that much time. I will read, like today, I read from five different books, but I only read three or four or five or six pages of each one. And I I, I don't read a lot every day, but I read every single day. And the same could be true for you. How about this? You could read through the entire Bible five times. And it would take you, what, three chapters a day or four if you have a grace day like we do as a church this year. But I mean, just imagine how much more you would know of scripture by having read through the whole thing. And each time, you're going to get something new. And I didn't realize it. And God's speaking to new things from old verses. And it's just, I saw something I didn't see before. It's amazing. Uh, You could memorize uh, a, a ton of scriptures if you picked even one a week. I mean, or one a month, 60 verses that you would know. Like How many verses could you sit down and quote right now? What if you could quote 60 Bible verses? How would you not have the right sword to deal with the right attack? If you had those things hidden in your heart, so you so you didn't sin against God. What about uh, impact for community service? Impact for change in the world? Perhaps some of the young people in our church, who I know for a fact have a passion for people to have drinking water, set aside a dollar a day, and uh, you know you got to the end of that time and you had eighteen hundred dollars, and you're almost able to fully fund a water project in Malawi. Like We just bought a bunch of them, by the way, at Year's End. Good job, church. Uh, To think about the clean drinking water, going to people who don't have it through charity water and all that God's doing. Or you said, hey, I'm going to give that $1,800 and believe that God's going to send more uh, tablets into prisons around the country to change the hearts of people who need to know they have value, and God loves them, and God has a plan for their life, even if they're incarcerated for the rest of their life, that the word of God can't be changed. When we were in. The prison in Florida this last time, they were telling me how many nations were represented in that prison. And it was astounding, because Miami, being the, the Latin melting pot that it is, they were telling us there was something like 30 different countries represented in that prison. And I was speaking to those inmates and telling them, in your letters home, and what you can do. Literally, you can be running an, a, a global missions effort, leading the charge, and seeing God work, great ways. And we could be a part of that as we continue to do what God has called us to do, to be a church that rocks our city in Jesus' name. I thought about the power of the table and how 1,825 times, if even one meal a day, you and your family gathered for a meal around a table. And they talk about how children who have up to five or seven meals a week at the table in their home will have a less likelihood of obesity, less likelihood of being incarcerated, of uh, of ending up uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol, it's just less likely to become pregnant as a teenager, just for sitting at a table. And the bar is low. Because the TV can be on, and you can be eating McDonald's, all right? So we're not talking about like locally sourced quinoa, all right? You can just be having like fast food, but at a table. And the TV can even be on in the room, but you're gathering. You're looking into their eyes. Ideally, the TV turns off, baby. Throw some jazz on. Louis Armstrong makes every meal better, all right? So light some candles. And just look into each other's eyes. What's your pain? What's your fear? How's your day going? What's going on? Kids get a more sophisticated vocabulary, too. They learn bigger words, even more so than if their parents read to them if they sit at the table because they're hearing different words spoken. They, Be careful how you speak because your kids remember stuff. I'm like, never say that out loud. But you say it. I, Shut up. <laughs> uh, OK. <laughs> what if we invited people into our house once a month who we, we don't know if they have a relationship with Jesus to have a meal? 60 different times over the course of the next five years. You could have someone who's without God potentially, without hope in this world, sitting at your table. That you can say, regardless of what I think about your life choices or anything else, I love you. I care for you. You have value. What could God do in our church community if all of us had that mentality? God would multiply it out to to no end. And then the negative side. Okay, there's some of the positive brainstorming I did. Some of the negative would be, of course, if you could make a mistake, hang with the wrong crew. All of a sudden, you're there. You, you were drinking. You were driving. Whatever happened, one thing led to another. And five years from now, in 2028, you could be halfway through a 10-year prison sentence. We've seen it happen. We could, 10 years, uh, five years from now, be majorly uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol. You could have had five different jobs you partially applied yourself to, but then quit because of the authority you chafed under, and they didn't see that you were the snowflake you really are inside. So the grass kept being greener. And you kept quitting as soon as it got difficult. And you kept relocating. And eventually, you really wanted to live the dream that that no one was ever going to be the boss of you. You're going to freelance. And then you're going to get really frustrated because you're going to realize you're your own boss. And you're going to be really mad at you. (laughs) You could have racked up a tremendous amount of credit card debt, spending more than you earn. Or you could have packed on, in five years, 30 additional pounds. And all it would take is 50 calories per day more than you burn. And that adds up to five pounds a year, or extrapolate it out, 30 pounds plus or minus in a year. Uh, In five years, you could smoke 36,500 cigarettes, and that would just boil down to a pack a day. Now, of course, someone's like, oh, are you picking on? You're coming for smoking cigarettes, right? Like, and I always have to clarify. Because one time early in the church, someone said, Pastor, will I, will I go to hell if I smoke cigarettes? And I said, no, you'll probably get to heaven faster than any of us. <laughs> so that's just whoever that was for. And the same thing's true for chewing dip, right? Because you don't always die from tobacco. <laughs> Remember that? Am I dating myself? Sometimes you just lose a lung, right? (laughs) It's hard to tell people about Jesus without a tongue, bro. All right, so uh, here's another one negatively. You could spend 9,125 hours on your phone. And all it would take is five hours per day and look at your screen time and see how convicted you feel after that. I promise I will do the same. All right, so there's just some brainstorming. But here we sit at this juncture, hopefully listening from Moses' hindsight, telling us what? Life is racing by. First thing I want you to write down, time is not on your side. Because as we move towards not just 2024, we're not going to even lift our heads up to see, is it working? Because that's a mistake a lot of people make. They early up, oh, that's not working. Like I had told uh, someone that I care about, and I refused to pick on Kevin Guido uh, about this investment he could do a little bit at a time. And uh, you know, a year later, I said, are you still doing it? He's like, nah, I wasn't seeing results from it, right? Kevin's got that fast twitch muscle fiber, right? <laughs> Always on to the next thing and easily distracted. And, and so, but we're not even going to look up a year from now. We're not even going to assess these at work. And we're just going to put some things into motion and believe for some compound interest. And we're saying, how can we be great by 2028, 20, knowing it's going to be here before we blink? Because yeah. the first time I preached this series was five years ago. My oldest daughter was 12. Daisy, was in the service, she was seven. The next time, Libby's going to be 22. We're going to have uh, Lennox be 10. I'm going to be 45. The last time I preached it, I was halfway through my 30s. We're going to blink and be there. I was thinking, if what Moses said is right, some people get 70, some people get 80, how many more of these theories do I got in me? Like eight max, right? If, if what he's saying is true. So we're going to blink, and it's going to be there. Why? Because time is not on your side. It is racing by. And a lot of us, we, we make the mistake of, of getting fooled by the flower. We, we get distracted by the grass. And some people, that's your word. Don't get distracted by the grass. <laughs> That's that's a 2022 word for somebody today. How are you going to wake up and go, oh, bro, it's 2028. You get distracted by the grass. (laughs) It's everywhere. Moses said, life just springs up like green grass. Life just springs up by a beautiful flower. But then just when you're enjoying it, it's gone. That's what what happens to summer every year. Just when we're like, oh, it's so beautiful. Right? It just erases by. Now, we always say the dumbest stuff with them. I can't believe it's already Christmas. Can't. Whoa, it's Mother's Day. Like, oh, who can believe it's already 2020? Wow, Chucks, it's 2023. Like, as though time doesn't just continue to click along one second per day, 20, right? 20 per for hour, per for, well, for second, actually. All right, fine. You have a pass, because time is tricky, all right? But the, but the reality is, it's just constantly barreling down. And it's easy to think we have more of it than we do, because life is a vapor, and the real bugger None of us are guaranteed 70, or if you do really good, 80. But even if you do, it's going to come at you so fast, you're not even going to know what what hits you. Someone took the 24 hours of a day from midnight to midnight when Cinderella's pumpkin coach moment happens. And they took birth, and they called it midnight. And then they, they took death, and they called it the next midnight. And they took our average life expectancy, which, by the way, for the first time since 1920, has gone down in America in the last few years. That's not ever happened in any of our lifetimes, that we're actually living less. We'll live a shorter life, on average, than our parents. And there's a lot of factors involved in that. But they took, like, let's say you do get your average. And it's different from man to woman and, and all the rest. But let's just, let's just, let's just go with this, this story, so we can get a picture of where we're at. If that's the case, and you're 10 years old today, Then it's 3 AM. By the time you get to 20, it's 624 in the morning. At 30, it's 9 AM. At 40, where I'm at, it's basically high noon. At 50, it's 318 PM. At 60, it's 622. And you got five hours and 38 minutes left to live. What's the point? The point is, time is not on your side. So you don't have the luxury of going, I'll eventually get to some of this stuff. I've always known I had a call of God on my life. I always knew God gave me that dream. I always knew I was supposed to be doing that or, or, or participating in that. Because your, your whole someday thing is never going to come. But today is right in front of you, and it's God's gift to you. And that's why it's called the present. So time is not on your side. Uh, second thing I want you to write down, future you, is an exaggerated version of current you. Because the other mistake we think uh, we make about time when we're not thinking it's on our side and that we have all the time in the world is that somehow with this rosy, idealized version of the future, we just sort of project uh, all the improvement that we're not currently undergoing into who we're going to be one day. So it's like, I know I'm not generous, and I know I'm not kind, and I know I'm not a good husband or a good wife. I don't prioritize my family. But when I picture my declining years, I sort of had this rosy version of it where everyone's gathered around and speaking well of me and wanting to be there for me. And I don't project the fighting and the friction and all the the, the loneliness and the hurt feelings. But but I just think it's going to happen on its own. Where I I know I'm not generous and and I don't save and all the things, but I just sort of see myself having a different version because time's just going to somehow magically change me. But time doesn't change you. It makes you more of what you already are. So if you want to know what you're going to be like when you're old, if you want to know what you're going to be like, just look in the mirror, but imagine more miles on the odometer because that's what you're going to look like. Time's just going to continue to exaggerate unless, unless you make a change. Which is why the next thing I want you to write down, right under that, is this. I want you to write down, if you don't like what you're getting, change what you're doing. If you don't like what you're getting, when you look into the future and see who you're headed to becoming and what you currently are, you need to change what you do. Why? Because Galatians 6, 7. This is so huge. This is the reason Moses had heartache, and the children of Israel had heartache, is this. A failure to understand that whatever a man sows, the same he shall reap. Whatever, Galatians 6, 7, a man sows, the same he shall reap. So a lot of us think, I can sow to the flesh, but then reap life. A lot of us think, I can sow to darkness, but somehow I'm just going to eventually uh, get, 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 get life out of it. But whatever a man sows, the same he shall reap. See, so you, don't, you, don't, you don't plant apple seeds and get watermelons. And that's how a lot of us are expecting. It's just going to sort of like God's going to bless it and override it. But at the end of the psalm, he said, God, we want your blessing, but we want you to bless us as we establish our ways in a way that will please you. Yeah. So the mercy of this moment that we have. And I'm so grateful to God for me and for you that we get to sit here, right here, January eighth, 2023, and have a wake-up call, and have a come to Jesus moment, and project ourselves into the future, and not like what we're seeing, and do something about it. Y'all, it's time to plant some different seeds. It's time to start sowing to the Spirit so we can reap life in the future. It's time to live in such a way that our future us will thank us when we get there. Because we put into motion the small things over time, that can help us to arrive at the greatness God has for us on our 2028 and beyond. And so, where we're going to land this plane today? And I'll caution you from thinking that today is the be-all, end-all, and miss the rest of the series, because today was really just a syllabus. I'm just laying out for us kind of an idea. And it was hopefully going to be a little bit of a a goad, a little bit of the spur in the side that would cause us to go, ouch, Okay, I want more. And then in the rest of the weeks of this series, we'll unpack that. So let's make the commitment to be here and to be leaned in and to watch what God's going to do in the coming days. But but the last thing I want to leave you with is that small, little, easily despised, ongoing consistency is much better than short-term intensity. If we have just a big, like, what's it? Everything's changing, right? That, that, that big, dramatic, oh, you know, like the person, I got a friend who, I'm going to run a marathon. And he did that day. It's like, how'd that go for you? Because we were together recently. I go, do you want to go run? He goes, no, my feet are killing me. Right? Yeah, because he did like permanent damage to himself. You can get whiplash in that way. So it's not about some big flash up in the parable of the sower and the seed, the one that sprang up quickly but had no root, didn't last through the tribulation of the sun coming out. But it's that little, easily despised growth in good soil. May not look like much right away, but it can lead to 30, hello, 60, 100-fold impact over time. And that's truly what I believe. I believe for this to be a, uh, a fork in the road for us. We're not here to shame any of us for our past or what led us to this moment. All I'm saying is, couldn't it be that today's time to turn a page? could it be that today's a day to say, hey, regardless of what's behind me, I want to move towards all that God has in front of me. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to, I want to make some of these small changes. And I'm going to keep doing them with a short-term, in, in, with a consistency in mind, not some short-term intensity. Because then and only then can we truly unleash that power of compound interest, which Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. In fact, the exact quote is, he who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. There's a a world of difference between 19% of interest you're paying and 19% interest that you're earning. So compound interest, the small things over time. There's a beautiful picture of it in dominoes. All of us played with dominoes as kids. And on the stage, we have dominoes. Of course, these dominoes vary in size. But we all know that if dominoes are the same size, like the average set of dominoes that you have in your house are two inches tall. But a scientist once realized that every domino as it falls releases a power that's capable of knocking over a domino, not just the same size, but one and a half times bigger than it because it has gravity on its side as it's falling. And so it cannot just knock over itself, but it can knock over something that's even 50% bigger than itself. And so we, for the illustration, have uh, attempted to recreate this. And we've taken a domino that's only 5 millimeters tall, 5 millimeters tall, 1 millimeter wide, and, and, and asked ourselves the question, if this is true and we play compound interest out, then it should be capable of knocking over this behemoth that weighs 100 pounds and is three feet tall, and that I have to like arch my back to get properly or like have a flat back to get properly, because I'm old. Uh, So you take this 100-pound domino, and you ask yourself, is it possible that this tiny tic-tac could knock it over? And the truth is, if we play this out properly, it should be able to, because each domino in the series is 1.5 times bigger than this. Now, we stopped at 13, but we could play this out. Because by the time this domino got to number 29, it would be the size of the Empire State Building. Welcome to compound interest. So here's how it looks. We take this little guy, which I have to use tweezers to get into place because it's so little. Now, here's what's scary about the demonstration. C.S. Lewis said, Good and evil both increase at compound interest. So not only do these forces work for us, but they also can work against us. The question is, which direction do we want to unleash, unleash that power? For good or for evil, for flesh or for the spirit, for light or for darkness? I want to end with an illustration that, came, that comes from Australia. These, uh, these doctors got together two groups of people. And it was a four and a half year, so almost five year period. And they, for that period of time, told the group A, you're going to wear an SPF 50 sunscreen whenever you are in the sun. So if you feel like I'm going to the beach, or I'm in the pool, or it's a really bright day, I'm walking around, you know, sort of an amusement park, put on SPF 50 when you think you're going to be getting a lot of sun exposure. The other group was told, you're going to wear an SPF 15, but you're going to wear it every single day. If you're in the sun, wear SPF 15. If you're in a a rainy situation, there's not going to be any sun, put on SPF 15. If you're going to be indoors all day, and you're never going to even see the sun, put on SPF 15. Just do it every day and forget about it. Four and a half years later, they took the people who put on SPF 50, a much higher power sunscreen, but they only did it when they felt they needed it, and they compared before and after photos. And everyone was shocked that in just almost five years, they had aged dramatically in that time because it turns out the number one factor in human aging and the appearance of it is the exposure to UV rays. Now, they took the the other group that had only worn SPF 15, but had done it every single day. You could even say religiously. And they look at the before and after photos, and there was almost no discernible difference in that period of time. They looked identical, in some cases, better than they had going into the study. And what's powerful for us to realize and sit in as we wind our time down today is that what's true of your skin is also true of your soul. So to circle back to where we started and ask the question, what is the life you get stuck with? The life you get stuck with in the end. turns out there's some truth to what your mama always used to say to you when you made an ugly face. Careful making that face. Keep making it. It'll stick that way. The life you get stuck with is going to be, in the end, the life you make. So make it a good one, Fresh Life. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts today. Thank you for the way that that this can be, that that goat, Like Paul the apostle was told by you, Jesus, when he got saved that day. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. You were goading him to, to bring him to you. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. You send that goat into our side to wake us up. You want the scales to fall from our eyes. And I just want to pray, just at the beginning of this journey, the beginning of this next half decade here, for anybody who would say, I'm in. I'm in on this. I want want what God has for me. I want that greatness. I'm willing to put that first domino down. One year is only, by this math, 2.6 dominoes. So first year, I'm not going to see much, but I'm not judging that. Second year, I'm not even going to see that much. I'm believing for that long-term eternal impact as I'm faithful. If that's you I'm describing, and you're saying, I'm in on that, could you just raise a hand up? Every location, Church Online. You're saying to God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to die in Kadesh Barnea. I don't want to be buried on Nebo. I want to enter into that land of milk and honey. Thank you, Jesus. May you pour your rich blessings on these lives, these on Church Online platform, the podcast, Spotify. However you're taking this message out, from Columbus, Ohio, to Tallahassee, Florida, to Laguna Beach, California, to Argentina, and Moscow, and however, God, you're engaging your church in this moment, I pray for a blessing on these. To not even lift their heads up and wonder, is it working for a year, two years, three years, just to continue to to be faithful, sowing seeds, believing for increase. You could put your hands down. And I now want to give an invitation to anybody who's never said yes to Jesus. Because the greatest difference you can make between you and five years from now and you and five million years from now is what you do to Jesus' gracious offer to save you, heal you, forgive you, and give you the promise of heaven. That's why he died on the cross for you, rose from the dead on your behalf, and even now stands at the door of your heart knocking, inviting you in to him. Perhaps like the prodigal son you've have known all this, but you've left your father's house for what the world has to offer. And today can be your day to return to the Father. He's not going to be angry. He's not going to ask you to avert your gaze and keep your head held down in shame. He's going to put a robe on your shoulder, a ring on your finger, and invite you to the feast to sit at the table with you. And your church family, we're going to be there to encourage you, to celebrate you, to walk this life with you, the journey that's hard. How great would it be to have God's spirit in you, but also God's people do life with. If that's you I'm describing and you would say, today, Levi, I I want to become a Christian. I want to be filled with life in Christ. I want heaven to be in my future. Well, the Bible does say you have to invite him in. So I'm going to give you space to do that by praying a prayer with me. And I'm going to ask your church family seated around you, around you on the chat platform as well, to pray with you. Say this out loud, believing it in your heart, and God will hear you. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm lost. I need you. Please come into my heart. Make me new. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name.